Hello, hello, hello. This is Speaking of Everything with Jeff Bushman, recorded January 31, 2021. It's hard to believe, but it's been a month since we last recorded Speaking of Everything, but here we are. So here's what's news. Donald Trump, or as we call him here, the Orange Menace, apparently got rid of his defense team, that is the impeachment defense team, because they wanted to talk about a legal defense, and he wants his defense to be on the question of election fraud. He now has two new lawyers, one of whom is a former district attorney. Don't you kind of hope that they do it his way? One of the defenses the prior team wanted to use is that you can't throw someone out of office after they've left office. An interesting point, but it's been done before and we'll explain. Speaking of explanations, (laughs) we'll talk briefly about GameStop and what happened this last week on Wall Street. Now I have to tell you, I'm so odd that I've understood short selling for years. And while I can't promise to make it interesting, I'll try not to put anyone to sleep. Okay, maybe a few of you. And speaking as we lately have been doing about that orange menace, you may not have seen this because it was on the news and then disappeared faster than idiotic tweet. A former Russian intelligence officer stated that El Trumpo was a Russian asset for 40 years. Now, let's acknowledge it's hard to understand how anyone could consider him an asset unless they're referring to what Vladimir Lenin used to refer to as a useful idiot. As you may have read, 10 Republic senators have offered to meet with the president, that is President Biden, doesn't that sound good? Uh, With a counter offer of a $600 billion plan to defeat COVID and revive the economy. The president's plan is 1.9 trillion. That's a difference of $1.3 billion. As the long dead Illinois Senator Everett Dirksen originally said, you talk about a billion here and a billion there, pretty soon you're discussing real money. That said, the number of Republican senators who want to discuss a compromise is significant and we'll talk about why that is. And while we discuss that, we'll get into the subject of reconciliation not of Democrats and Republics, but of the budget. It might be interesting. In other news, Aung San Suu Kyi, who I mentioned primarily to see if I could pronounce her name, in Myanmar, which was formerly known as Burma, has been arrested. She used to be a democracy advocate and theoretically still is, and she did win a Nobel Prize. But since then, she's lost some of her luster because she approved of the military's terrible treatment of Myanmar's Rohingya minority. Nonetheless, there was an election recently and Kyi's party did well enough to be the dominant party in the lower house of the country's parliament, which kind of makes her the de facto leader of the country. That's how they elect their prime minister based on how many votes you have in the parliament. Now the military has arrested her and postponed the planned opening of that parliament because they claim the election was fraudulent. Sound familiar? Now, if they could just get Trump over there, they'd have something going on and it would help us too. And as if things weren't crazy enough, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a newly minted Republic congressional representative has had some of her old social media statements revealed. She's a a supporter of QAnon. Now, while most Americans know that QAnon is a group of what are kindly referred to as wackos and nutjobs, they don't necessarily know that they're also anti-Semitic and racist. Of course, those are some of their nicer qualities. Though a couple of Republicans have called for her 
expulsion or at least removal from the House Education Committee. Many others have not. And one of her statements a couple of years ago was that the California wildfires were started by laser beams controlled by a Jewish conspiracy. As a famous columnist used to say, I'm not making this up. Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea, welcome to Speaking of Everything with Jeff Bushman. That would be me. We'll discuss those stories, and if there's time, we'll discuss some interesting media and this week in history, so stay with us. First, however, we wanted to let you know that if you're hearing this other than where you get your podcasts normally, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and when and wherever fine podcasts and not-so-fine podcasts are available. If you want to look up my podcasts on your uh, podcast app, just go into the search function and enter my name, Jeff, in a space, Bushman, B-U-S-H-M-A-N. As an alternative, you can go to tjbsradio.com to hear this program and others that you otherwise are unlikely to run across. So drop by and tune in, but please don't drop out. We'll see you there. Before we discuss other insanity, I'd like to invite you to Amazon.com. If you go there, you can look up my latest book called You've Been Served, about process serving. When you do go there, instead of doing your search in the All Departments section, please go to Books and then look up the title You've Been Served. Otherwise, you'll get all kinds of British TV shows and other unrelated things. So go to Books, look up You've Been Served. And one other thing about that, uh, if you're interested in mobile home investment while you're at Amazon, Look up Mobile Millionaire. Thanks, and now back to La Programa. First, we didn't mention it in our introduction, but as you know, ex-President Trump didn't pardon himself or his family members. Uh, as a, by the way, Harry Truman once corrected someone when they referred to a Republican president who'd lost an election for a second term. The other person had referred to that GOP president as former president. No, said Truman. A former president is someone who serves as many terms as he is allowed to serve. When someone loses re-election, they should be referred to as an ex-president. So ex-president Trump didn't pardon himself or his family. That was undoubtedly based on legal advice. As we discussed in an earlier episode, if he had pardoned himself, he would have invited an indictment that may come anyway. Because the uh, prosecutors in the Justice Department could not let that self-pardon go unchallenged. So they would indict so that a court, ultimately the Supreme Court perhaps, could decide whether a president could pardon himself. It is not clear from a simple reading of the Constitution whether that's allowed. So it would have to be interpreted and decided. But the legal advice he would have gotten, besides the fact that uh, pardoning himself would have made him look guilty, as if he didn't look guilty enough already, uh, of a crime, and specifically sedition in this case for um, uh, encouraging the rioters who took over the Capitol. Um, It would make him look guilty. And uh, additionally, uh, the other factor involved is that if he had pardoned his family members, then they could not take the Fifth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment basically says that you have the right to not incriminate yourself. To incriminate yourself means to make yourself look guilty of a crime. If you have been pardoned, then you can't be charged with or convicted of the crime uh, about which you would otherwise incriminate yourself. So by not having that pardon, they can still claim the fifth. There are ways around that to get their testimony. And by get around, I don't mean taking any non-constitutional 
action on the part of prosecutors, but you can grant someone immunity to testify against someone higher up in the conspiracy chain. And that undoubtedly is what they will now do once they prosecute the ex-president. Um, among the things that he is likely to be charged with is fraud, insurance fraud, and perhaps tax fraud. Because if, uh, uh, what's his name, Michael Cohen is to be believed, he misstated the value of his assets and undervalued them or overvalued them, depending on whether he was trying to get insurance, was making an insurance claim, or was trying to value them for his tax returns. So he is somewhat exposed. Uh, not like he was exposed to Stormy Daniels, but, you know, exposed. Okay, let's talk about some of the stories that we talked about. By the way, if there's something you'd like us to cover or you'd like to respond to something we've said, you can do that. You can send us an email at TJB, as in Tom John Ryan, uh, TJBradio at gmail.com. Okay, so let's talk about the stories. Um, the reason I said that we should hope that uh, Trump's new attorneys on the impeachment defense should agree with Trump and agree to challenge the impeachment because the election was fraudulent. The reason I said that is because it might conceivably persuade some Republican senators to vote for what has been called conviction. Uh, whereas if he just talks about how you can't convict a former office holder who's no longer in office, uh, perhaps I should have said an ex-office holder, uh, then that will probably find uh, validity with some, uh, some or most of the Republican senators. Remember, you have to get 67 votes in the Senate to quote unquote convict or remove from office. You only have to get 50% under the section of the 14th Amendment that says someone should be removed for office because they committed crimes against the United States. But most scholars believe you first have to, when it comes to a president or other federal office holder, that you have to first, again, quote unquote, convict them of the uh, acts they have been accused of during in the impeachment that was passed by the House. Okay. Um, also, the uh, prior defense team wanted to make that argument about you can't throw someone out of office after they're gone. It actually has been done before. The, uh, this was first on the Rachel Maddow show was the first place I saw it, but she talked about a cabinet officer in the administration of Ulysses S. Grant. Um, and this guy was apparently a major crook. I don't recall his name, but when he found out that he was about to that he had been impeached by the House and was about to be tried by the Senate. He ran right over to the um, White House and submitted his resignation with the thinking that he could not be removed from office once he was out of office. The Senate never, nevertheless voted to remove him from office and prohibit him from uh, holding federal office ever again. So with that precedent, that the Senate set, this was would have been back in the 1870s, Trump is allowed to be, again, removed uh, from office, even though he's gone. And then they could vote to bar him from federal office, not just the presidency, forever. Uh, now, as much as I would like to see him suffer some kind of uh, punishment, I frankly think it's a bad idea to allow the trial of the Senate to go forward for a former president 
granted, he's only been out of office now for 11 days. And by the time they get to it, maybe it'll be 18 or 19 days. But if you can try a president who's been out of the who's been out of office for 19 days or a couple of weeks, a few weeks, why couldn't Republicans the next time they take over the House and Senate, because these things do go back and forth, why couldn't they choose to re-impeach and retry Bill Clinton? Or why couldn't they go back and try to impeach Lyndon Johnson? Uh, granted, that's ridiculous on its face, but the reality is they could do it. My concern is that makes us into more of a uh, banana republic, if you will, going after former presidents. In this country, we tend not to do that. Now, that's different from prosecuting him for a specific crime that he is likely to have committed that the um, uh, Justice Department may go after him for or some uh, county attorney or district attorney in New York may do. That's different. But going after him through the methodology of impeachment and trial in the Senate, I just think that's a really bad idea once he's left office. Let him be, charge him with crimes if he committed them. Uh, well, not if. Charge him with the crimes he's committed, convict him, let him suffer some kind of punishment that way. Although, again, I think jail would be a bad idea. But don't do this. It's a, it really does set a bad precedent for going after former presidents. Um, then um, I told you about the uh, Russian intelligence officer who um, said that Trump has been a Russian asset for 40 years. Frankly, I believe it. It makes sense in terms of the dossier that the British intelligence officer had done and everything that Trump did in his administration with respect to Russia. Uh, let's talk about GameStop. You've probably heard about this to a large extent, but what happened was, <laughs> uh, and if you want to skip this part, speed through it, because you think you'll be bored to death, I will understand. But GameStop, first off, is a company that has physical locations. In fact, there's one here in Arizona, not too far from where we're talking. Uh, it's a physical location where people go in and put in their multiple quarters and play video games. This is not something you would think of as necessarily a good business. A, people aren't going into malls to go play video games. And B, if someone is going to play video games, most of the time now they'll do it online. So it would seem to be a bad stock to own. Hedge fund owners, that is people who invest other people's money, uh, and usually you're talking about millions or billions of dollars at a time, thought that thought the same thing I just said, which is GameStop would be a bad stock to own, did something they call short selling. What short selling is uh, can be easily explained, not easily, but quickly explained. But first I need to talk about what normally happens that most people already know. You want, you buy a stock because you think it'll go up in value. If not right away, then eventually. Uh, so you buy several shares of stock and sit and wait. Okay. And if it does go up, to the point that you want to sell it, you sell it, end of song, other than the tax uh, on that capital gain. Um, in short sales, and that's called a long sale, by the way. Uh, in short sales, it's a little different. In short sales, what you do is you actually, through your broker, borrow shares of stock uh, <clears throat> and it's at a specific price. Using an example here, let's assume in the short sale, the stock is currently selling for $20, okay? You think it's going to go down to 10. 
So you borrow shares of stock with an agreement to pay it back. I'll pay you back the stock in however long you borrow it for. Let's say, for example, two weeks. You borrow the shares at, uh, let's say, two shares, uh, $20 each, $40. Uh, and you do that and agree to give it back in two weeks. In the meantime, hoping the stock will go down in price, believing the stock will go down in price, you sit back and when it does in fact go down to say $10 a share, you now buy those two shares so you can give them back through the broker to the person from whom you borrow them. So you sold them first, it's backwards, okay? You sold them first, I'm sorry, you borrowed them first at, uh, $20, you essentially sold them because you agreed to give them back later. $20 each, so $40. And then you buy them back when they go down at $10 each for $20 and give them back to the broker. You've now made on your investment $20. Well, multiply that times millions and millions of times. And if you're right in guessing about what the stock's going to do, you've made a lot of money. Okay. Hedge funds were doing that. And some investors again, investors in this case may be the wrong word, but some individuals felt that these people were screwing GameStop and they were also hedge funds who tend to take advantage of market fluctuations. They wanted to get back at them. So what did they do? They, as a group, bought a lot of the shares in GameStop. By buying a lot of shares, it pushed the price up. When in the period of time I mentioned, two weeks or whatever else the period was, the people who sold the stock short have to buy it so they can give it back to the person they borrowed it from through the broker. So if instead of going down to $10 in my example, it goes up to $40 and these folks have to buy it, instead of gaining uh, $10 a share for $20 for the two shares, they now are losing $20 a share because they have to buy it back at 40 to give it back. So they've lost $20 a share or uh, $40 by having to buy back that stock, okay? Again, multiply that by millions of shares and you have some people really losing money. And the people who are trying to do this, if the shares keep going up because other people keep buying it, they've gained a great deal. The risk of course is that at some point the actual value of GameStop as a company ends up getting reflected in the stock price and the people who bid up the shares, that is people who bought it to make the price go up and screw the hedge funds, they will lose a lot of money. And uh, that's what happened. Uh, I don't mean they've lost money uh, yet, but they could lose a lot of money. Okay, so here's the what may be the biggest story of the day. 10 senators from the GOP have offered to meet with the president with a counteroffer on the COVID and economic relief plan that Biden has proposed with a price tag of $1.9 trillion. And they've said, let's come up with a $600 billion plan. And uh, I said before, that's a $1.3 billion difference. But here's the important thing. The number 10 is really interesting. Why? Assuming that all of the, this is a big assumption, by the way, that all of the Democrats vote for a COVID economic relief plan that can be worked out by these people, that's 50 votes. As of right now, the um, uh, filibuster is still in effect, legislative filibuster is still in effect. So it effectively needs 60 votes. So if they can agree on something, 
uh, the 10 senators and all 50 Democrats, it will immediately pass without the necessity and without the risk of a filibuster. The way the modern filibuster works is a senator says, I'm going to filibuster that and never has to get up and talk like uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It just dies. Okay. The 10 Republicans and 50 Democrats getting together would eliminate that risk. My guess is they're going to end up somewhere in the middle between 600 billion and 1.9 trillion, uh, and hopefully toward the higher end. But wherever they end up, if they can agree to pass it, uh, they pass it. The other part of that, however, is that if they don't, if Republicans and Democrats can't get together, then the Democrats can pass it by themselves. The method of doing that is called reconciliation. Reconciliation is a process that um, is the process by which they passed Obamacare because it was a budgetary event. It has to be budgetary. You can't legislate that, uh, for example, the, um, the sentence on manslaughter in the federal, uh, uh, well, that's a bad example, but the, the penalty for violating someone's civil rights will go up from two years to four years. You can't do that by reconciliation, but you can if it's a budgetary matter. So what happens is this, if it's a budgetary matter, the Senate passes it by 50 votes. It goes to the House and is passed it by 50 votes or, vice, or by a majority or vice versa. But because it's budgetary and because of the recon reconciliation process, it's not subject to filibuster, okay? Now, that's basically it. So, but if they could, uh, as it turns out, the Democrats are gonna have two chances in this Congress, which lasts two years. I know the elections are every four years, but there are, well, let me back up. The congressional elections are every two years. Presidential is four years. In, in, and when I say congressional in this case, I mean the House, the Senate is six years. But if they can, uh, but in this two-year session, they actually have two chances to use the reconciliation process because they didn't pass a budget last year. So they can do it twice. But if they can do it, do the passage of this bill with Republican cooperation based on a compromise, then they still have two bites of the apple. This could be golden. And I don't mean a golden delicious. This could be a golden opportunity. So if they can agree on something, and I would suggest that, let's see, the difference is 1.3 billion, you half that. What is that? That's uh, six, six, 650 million, right? 650 billion, I beg your pardon. So if you could end up with 1.2 trillion, approximately, that would be worth it. Okay. Um, we mentioned uh, the situation in Myanmar. Marjorie Taylor Greene, we don't have to spend any more time with that. <laughs> but I do want to discuss with you um, the uh, situation uh, with um, media. And we're going to end early tonight because my throat's going. But uh, the, so we won't discuss this week in history. But media is uh, potentially interesting. I've discovered a couple of things that some of you have already discovered, but some of you may not have. The free app for your phone or tablet, Tubi, T-U-B-I. I used to not like them for a number of reasons, but now I do. And the reason I like them is because they have a lot of, it's all free, their content is free. You can watch movies, uh, TV, old TV shows, all kinds of things. Uh, recently, I watched a movie with Humphrey Bogart because I like those kinds of things. And uh, 
if I recall correctly, it was called A Lonely Place. It was Humphrey Bogart and uh, Gloria Graham. In any event, great movie. But, I mean, nothing brilliant, but good um, film noir. In the meantime, they have a lot of old TV shows, and there's a section called Nostalgia uh, TV. And I just discovered last night that they had a lot of old shows that I used to watch when I was a child. Uh, and let it suffice to say that I'm uh, over 60 now. <laughs> I'm being gentle with myself. Um, and the um, shows they have are like Our Miss Brooks, My Little Margie, a lot of possessive pronouns right there. Um, Life with Elizabeth, which was an early program with um, Betty White, who just turned 99. She was much younger then. And when I was a child watching that show, I kind of developed a little crush on Betty White. I don't have that anymore, but but uh, she was a very cute young woman. Uh, that and, and yes, as a child, I did notice that. Um, and there was, I'm trying to think of the show. Ah, yes, there was a show that came out in 1959, okay? And I think it lasted one season, maybe two, but they only have one season of it on Tubi. And if you liked Cop Rock, first off, you and I are probably the only two who ever did, but Cop Rock was a, saw, a show about police who would suddenly break out into song on the street while on patrol. It was a musical TV series. It was very amusing, and I liked it. Uh, it was uh, created by the guy who created uh, L.A. Law and NYPD Blue and Hill Street Blues, and as you can tell, I can't think of his name. But anyway, um, but Cop Rock was that. Uh, the show in 1959 was called Love and Marriage, and the theme song was the song Love and Marriage, which uh, Frank Sinatra had a hit of once. But anyway, in this show, uh, it starred William Demarest and a woman whose name I uh, had never seen before or since, and Murray Hamilton. Murray Hamilton played William Demarest's son-in-law. But um, today, uh, Catherine Ross is celebrating her 81st birthday. Catherine Ross was also in The Graduate, and so was Murray Hamilton. Murray Hamilton played uh, Anne Bancroft, Mrs. Robinson's husband, Mr. Robinson. I don't know we ever knew his first name, but Murray Hamilton played Mr. Robinson, who was also the father of Catherine Ross's character. In any event, Murray Hamilton was in Love and Marriage, and on this show, William Demarest plays a uh, a music publisher. So during the show, they play piano, they break into song, people start dancing. It was otherwise a sitcom that was fairly unremarkable. But like Cop Rock, it lasted about a season. And uh, it's too bad because as a kid, I really enjoyed the show. And I watched an episode last evening. And when you say it holds up well, uh, it's not as if it would ever be a hit today um, for reasons that may be obvious. But it was just as good as I remembered it, which may be damning with faint praise. Okay, um, but another interesting uh, connection, William Demarest had two parts in a movie and TV that were interesting. In the Al Jolson story, which came out, I think, in the 50s, William Demarest played the mentor to a young Al Jolson, uh, who was a, and Demarest's character was a vaudeville star, and he basically... Uh, mentored young Al Jolson, uh, and uh, who ended up whistling when his voice changed. It's a peculiar story. William Demarest, however, was also 
on My Three Sons, a TV series that was out in the 60s. Um, Demarest played the part of um, William Frawley's brother, William Frawley's character's brother. William Frawley, who had previously been on I Love Lucy as Fred, uh, was the father-in-law to Fred McMurray, the grandfather to the three sons. And during the filming of the show, uh, William Frawley died. Uh, so his replacement, who was the char that character's quote unquote brother, came to live with the family that made up the family on My Three Sons. Uh, and uh, I can't remember the name of the part he played, but he was the, uh, if you will, chief cook and bottle washer on My Three Sons for its remaining seasons. That was William Demarest, who was being, as I said, love and marriage, among other, and the Al Jolson story. Uh, and there are many more connections with My Three Sons. Among them, the, the first year or two of that show, the three sons were Tim Considine, Don Grady, and Stanley Livingston. Uh, Stanley Livingston went to the junior high school I attended in Los Angeles uh, and was like a semester or a year ahead of me. I never knew him, but I saw him on campus. Uh, but Don Grady was the brother of Lanny O'Grady, who was the who played Mary on Eight is Enough. So there are all kinds of connections here. But in any event, you might want to take a look at Tubi. I don't think My Three Sons was on there. Uh, Dan, Don Grady and Lanny O'Grady are both now dead. Uh, they both died pretty young, uh, at least by my standards. Anyway, that's our show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tune in next time. Uh, and subscribe so you know when next time is, okay? Anyway, thanks again. Uh, please, until next time, uh, be kind to each other. And uh, please, as I said, please subscribe so you don't miss another show. And uh, for sure, don't you go away mad. All right, everybody. Good night.